Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. Welcome back to the Center in the City podcast. On today's episode, we have Hector Marcel with us, who is the president of Three Jewels. It's a New York City-based enlightenment studio that focuses on helping people reach their higher potential through meditation, yoga, talks, and community outreach. Hector and I had a really great conversation about the importance of a meditation practice in our modern day world, especially living in cities and especially as New Yorkers and high achievers and how to quiet that impulse in our mind that says we want that magic pill that's going to fix it all and we get to achieve and strive at meditation. Hector also talks to us about the amazing med gala that is going on tonight in New York City. So if you are a lucky listener in New York, head to the show notes and click on the med gala link to learn more. Centered in the City listeners get a discount code for listening and signing up. Also, stick to the end of the episode and you get to hear Hector's beautiful vision for this event that really helps it come alive and realize that when we practice meditation, we are not just practicing for ourselves, but we are practicing for the collective and all beings on this earth. So settle into this episode and get centered. Hector, what a pleasure. Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. Hi, Wade. Thanks so much for having me. It's actually really exciting to be able to talk about these powerful things with you. I love it. And I love that you are in New York right now. So it feels like we can just kind of just bring the city energy into the Centered in the City <laughs> podcast. <laughs> you said right before we hit record, you know, we might hear some trains in the background. And I'm like, yes, bring it. I miss the, the sound of the trains. The J train, <laughs> my companion in my meditations. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'd love to begin by hearing a little bit of like, tell us a time when you weren't centered, you know, as a meditation teacher, I think there's this connotation that we can be super calm and peaceful all of the time. And so I'd love to hear, like, tell us the time when you weren't centered. This morning. <laughs> this it. morning, I got up and I ran into my day because there was things back to back. And I caught myself, um, not being in the same state of mind that I like to put myself in about 
the third cup of coffee into meetings that I'm like, I've just drank coffee all morning. It's now 11 o'clock. What the hell am I doing? I haven't meditated yet. I did a little bit of yoga. And it, it's not that I was off the rails or, or wild. It's just that there is a place that after years of meditating, you can get yourself to. I don't know if you can hear the train now. <laughs> Good. We'll just welcome it into our practice. <laughs> that you could... You know, this this like ever regressing observer that has a peaceful experience of whatever is going on. You know, I I disconnected from that this morning and dove straight in because you know it's it's busy week. But um, I don't relate to being uncentered because uh, it never unravels me anymore. So I don't relate to it the same way I used to when I was an early meditator, where I'd beat myself up for not holding my view or you know maintaining my state of mind it's actually part of the growth it, it's just like a, any meditation it's never the bliss that comes from it it's always the exercise of returning the flexing of the mental muscle to return your attention to where you want it it's that's meditation mm -hmm. the others is just the result of meditation this peaceful state of being and i think we confuse them mm -hmm. Yeah, you're so right, because there, there tends to be this grasping for calm, for peace. And if you're not feeling that in your practice, then, you know, what am I doing wrong? Right? And then, Especially and then, in New York. <laughs> yeah, tell me more. In New York, everyone's achieving enlightenment. I have to achieve it now. <laughs> I have to be the perfect Instagram meditator and look a certain way. And the reality is polar opposites. You know, the reality is like in the mess, can you watch yourself getting hooked? And what is your mental narrative and your real response to that? You know, how are you redirecting the inertia to be unraveled? How do you redirecting the inertia to be hooked into an emotion or to have to achieve the thing? And to observe that is a kind of magic because every time you choose a response to that pattern, that's what's causing the future experience of the similar thing. Meaning, if you just observe and go and find some wisdom, some lessons, some distance, the next time the hooks come your way, you won't be hooked by nature. You've just rehabituated your mind through focus meditation to experience that thing differently with a little bit more distance, much more panoramic view. And then you make a better choice. And those steps by steps, better choices end up giving you a kind of sustained peaceful state of mind. But early on, oh my God, I, and in New York still, you know, I run Three Jewels and everyone comes to Three Jewels to achieve the pill of meditation. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you just got to go through that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think many of my listeners can relate to being achievers, whether they live in New York City or, you know, around the, around the world. And you're so right of like how we have this expectation when we sit on our cushion or when we enter our practice that, you know, it's going to be a certain way. And I love what you're creating for us here. When we pause, we get to rewire ourselves from that habit, from that habitual response and have more space to choose. And then that choosing is us starting to rewire our brain and our, neuro, our new neural pathways so that we can show up differently and be in relationship to as you say, the hooks a little differently. Yeah, yeah. The, the cool thing, I'm thinking a lot about this. I've got this little daily 
things on Instagram, little stories, reels that I do just to put my words out there in, in regular terms. I've been studying Tibetan Buddhist philosophy in a really heady way for 25 years. And I teach it and it's like terms and it's very heady, intellectual, philosophical debate on reality and the nature of mind. And if you're that kind of Buddhist, you nerd out in that thing. But that's just a language, a code for what helps us transcend the stuckness of the human condition. And every tradition that's been able to realize that transcendence will have a language. And, it, and the ones that survived a long time will be a religion, you know. But at the end of all that, every single creature with a mind has the possibility to experience that rapture because it's in us. It's not like Buddhists don't own enlightenment, you know, like nobody owns that state of mind but you. And so I've been doing these reels to talk about that. And the, the necessity to study what, we, what the hell we really are at, at the core is vital because I think I'm just saying this because I heard you talk about neuropathways and etc. The meat that we are, meaning the meat suit we wear, and the meat chunks whereby the electrical signals and chemicals abide. I think in the West versus the East, we tend to identify with the physicality of us and think we're a collection of chemicals and neuropathways, and we are. Yeah, out of all the infinite things on the universe, in the universe, out of all the rocks crashing against each other in the mass of space and time, supernovas coming and going, sentient beings are this tiny, tiny fraction. We're already a freaking miracle. Okay. You know, like out of all the matter in the universe, we are aware. <laughs> like this is crazy, right? And can communicate our awareness even crazier. And out of all the sentient creatures, we're not stuck underground burrowing holes under the earth in blindness, never seeing a star for entirety of our lives. We are in the immensity of it all. So human beings are the, this peak experience of consciousness, right? And in the meat that we hold, like with the pathways that carry our patterns, and those patterns are what force us to respond to reality in a certain way, when we investigate that a little further, we find this immense, immense possibility of being able to transcend even our best ideas of who we could be. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if that made any sense at all, but I'm, I've got this thing going in my head now that even if we regulate the human condition to the best of what we imagine, you're way more than that. It, way, way more than that. Mm -hmm. Like we're an impossible thing. I love where you're where you're coming from and we do we have infinite insights and wisdom in our bodies as you said in our meat that we hold that's around our bones and there is unlimited potential and just i mean that's one of the reasons i love the work that i do because it's so interesting to me to discover what's present for myself how is what's happening inside my own mind and body connected to the greater world i'm curious living in New York City, working with New Yorkers. 
how do you cultivate that shift for them to kind of get out of the head and the achieving mentality to tap into just that innate wisdom that is present in them without them quote unquote needing to do anything because we're so good and conditioned the doing yeah it's it's not a popular answer but i'll tell you my method okay it's not a popular answer because i think people would like to think that a meditating means clearing away the garbage and not thinking about anything and not doing there is something to do there there really is something to do so i re-engage the achievement mindset to a virtue to a good thing in your mind and for this i think we we have to differentiate i think what east and west think about who we are we are much more outer physical beings in the western way of looking at the world in the eastern way of looking at the world we're not the meat. We're not even the neuropathways or the chemicals. They are the manifestation of the consciousness, the mind that resides in what we think we are. But even if you look at the, if you look at the limitations of the human eye, for example, I, I did some research. We can only see something like 0.0035% of the visual field. 0.0035% of what could be seen is what we actually see. We miss 99.99 something percent of reality because our biology, like the cones and rods in our eyes, and then that turned into electrical signals in the brain and that habituated into icy blue. Yeah, the mind then imputes blue. And the unlimited potential you're talking about and how I can connect regular everyday beings into that is A, give them something else to chase, knowing that they're going to try and achieve something. <laughs> like, achieve this, you know, and they're like, oh, in my mind, I can do that. Good. Now you've got the inertia of an entire New York day. Instead of being pushed to trying to manipulate outer things like a better job and a relationship and all that to give me happiness, well, apply that same energy to looking at the way you engage with reality because that's where happiness will be found, regardless of the outside thing. So just a switching mindset still uses the inertia that we've been so habituated to chase the result until they get enough experience that then we can drop the trying. But initially, it's like you can't catch a race car running, running, running. Just put it in a different racetrack. And then they, they start seeing the scenery different. Okay, at least you've got some inertia. And I know it's a kind of trick. <laughs> I don't know if that's popular, but it works for so many people. I love that approach because it's taking their energy and it's just kind of funneling it into more of a skillful way that it sounds like then they find their own path to, oh, I don't actually need to try so hard. Correct. And they'll only find that after they've done the new racetrack a couple of times. I'm like, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm actually the driver of the car. I, you know, so I can turn a little bit here in the corner that they like most. Hmm. And most people come to inner awakening in all sorts of ways, some through movement, some through dance, some through meditation, some through whatever. But that's how I tend to trick new people into trying to look at the world through a really upside down perspective. It's no longer, if you want to be happy, if you want like, less problem things and more goodness in your world stop rearranging the outside things and think that's going to give you happiness if you don't think yeah if you don't change your mindset the way you understand the world to be 
then it doesn't matter how much you change the outside. Your mindset will return it to the same old racetrack. You need to change the way you view your relationship to the world. And this is the biggest flip, I think, in the Eastern philosophy, the biggest, biggest flip. So what someone said a terrible thing? Someone says a terrible thing. You can either be a victim or a victor, just being alliteration. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you can either be offended, but that's you being offended. That harms your being. I'm offended. Now I'm sad. Now I'm terrible. That's you. No one gives a rat's. No one knows what you're feeling outside. You know? Yes, but I want. I hate this. Okay, you you are now habituating hate. It's you. So the mindset is very different. Doesn't matter what's happening outside. If it's happening. It's happening already. Like you being angry won't help it. You being jealous won't help it. You being frustrated won't help it. It actually harms you. And so that mindset of taking full responsibility for your response to the world sounds simple, infinitely difficult. Oh my God. I study and teach this and I'm continually practicing, right? I'm continually students to this because it is to realize that we get to take responsibility for our actions and for our mindset. You know, even, you know, in relationship with my husband, putting down that we're both Tauruses and so <laughs> putting, putting down the like, no, I'm right. You're, you know, you're wrong, right? And needing to like justify that versus what's the bigger intention and goal here? Oh, it's to be and act from love. And yeah. how can we change the way that we're saying things and doing things so that we're coming from that intention versus, you know, the need to, to be right or the need. Yeah. And those are all old patterns and they're the patterns we've learned on this planet for ages that there's this thing my teacher taught me. I don't know if it can translate. Let's have a look. He, he, the old metaphor is that, um, your partner, there are two partners in your kitchen. You're doing your thing in your kitchen and there are two husbands for you, for example. For me too, it'd be two husbands, right? Two husbands in the kitchen. One is, let's say the husband or the partner says something that upsets you and then you want to yell back, yeah? In Buddhist thought, that husband that forces you to yell back does not exist in the way you think they exist. They didn't force you to yell back, yeah? That husband that made you yell because you're offended or they said something that upset you cannot exist because it's not separate from whatever got you upset in the first place. It's not the husband you should be attacking or re-attacking or defending or what, arguing. Not that partner. It's actually the force inside of us that would project onto them all our frustrations and blame and victimization. The second husband is the husband that would appear saying the stupid thing in the kitchen or whatever, but is not separate to me. And so when you hear something offensive or beautiful from that other partner, you're like, oh, my mind is coloring that whole experience. The part of my mind that is engaging with that second husband is me. That's a real husband in the kitchen. That's a real partner. The one that is not separate to my connection with them because they could say words and one day you'd be upset because you're in a mood and the next day you'd be happy because you're in a mood and the middle day you don't give a rat's because you're busy thinking someone else something else same words from the husband three realities from us so we get to consciously choose 
the response to every reality that could be out there and that's how we create our world i don't know if that translated it's more complicated than that but well it's essential to for us to be awake and aware right to then realize we're, what reality we're in, right? What shit is our mind making up? What stories are we living in so that we can then have that choice point that you're talking about? Yeah, and I think the hardest thing for most people to connect to when we go deeper and deeper into that philosophy that we're ultimately fully responsible for our response to the world, right? Because it is our response to the world that creates the new narratives which present the new worlds we step into, like stepping stones on a pathway, right our response to the current negative reality if it's negative we will place a new stone of negativity to step into in the future because the imprint is in us and we'll have the bias to see negativity but if we begin to change our response to at the very least let, what can i learn from this terrible thing then the next time a terrible thing happens we our mind will naturally go to through through the neural pathways etc there might be a lesson for me here yeah. and a lesson turns into a wisdom and a wisdom turns into an action and, and over time what used to trouble us infinitely informs us yeah. teaches us but yeah. that takes habit yeah. right and the curiosity right and the ability to ask ourselves the question you just said what can i learn in this moment or what's here for me to pay attention to right is so important what, yeah what a guide we can that can help anchor us and, and ground us. And even just circling back to, you know, when you noticed this morning when you were just drinking coffee and kind of <laughs> rushed out the door, that awareness of like, oh yeah, what is, what am I learning here? Uh, I had a very similar morning as well. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't meditate. I got out and I was like, it's my husband's birthday today. So it's kind of like rushing to do things for other people. And I realized, oh, I'm not taking care of myself. I feel out of my skin, out of my body. I need to come back. So just even paying attention to that reality that I'm creating. Hector, tell us a little bit about how you got into Buddhism and how, huh. you know, your, your story to becoming a teacher. Good question. I'm a reluctant Buddhist to this day, okay, because there is a tendency to think that I belong to a club of Buddhists, you know, and and my idea of Buddhist isn't what I'm at the moment. So that that's pretty Buddhisty to say I know. <laughs> but honestly, I still have this thing. Nobody owns full awakening. The, the Buddha, however, having studied 25 years, and that lineage was meticulous at writing down all the realizations that humans can have to awaken to the troubles and the sufferings of the human condition. So that's why I became more of a Buddhist. But how? The short of it is uh, in my 20s, I just moved to New York. I'm going to be famous like everyone, you know, and I was broke and depressed and terrible in my 20s. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not ever going to be famous. And it was the hardest time of my life. I was a little broke, not very broke and extremely broken, but I didn't know it. And so to pass the time in your 20s, you go get really drunk with friends all the time. And that's what I was heading to do. I was heading to a housewarming party. And I walked into the wrong party. Next door to my friend's apartment was um, three jewels, Tibetan bookstore and tea house, opening night. And I'm like, is that where they're having the party? I walk in, yeah? And it's just monks and nuns. They just opened this studio. And this nun, Annie Palma, uh, a, a short, feisty nun from Barbados who had opened the space, she's like, 
oh, you brought a present. And she saw a housewarming gift that I brought for my friend. And she dragged me all the way to the back of the space. And she says, you can make an offering to the statue of Tara. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? You're like, wrong party. I realized later it was the wrong party. And that night, and so then I left and I went next door and got drunk. They kept my housewarming gift to Tara, the, oh, the statue. I'm like, what the hell? But that night, uh, wait, I had the most transformative dream I had ever had. Wow. And that a girl that I met at in, in Three Jewels appeared in the middle of my dream, resolved all my problems, like that feeling of broken, broken. She appeared in the dream and she says, Hector, you found home. And when she said that, it felt true. And she pointed to the skyline of New York. She's like, you're home. This is home. And Three Jewels, the place I'd walked into, was in the skyline. And it gave me a sense of I've reached where I needed to reach. And I, I am not that kind of person. I was reading Anne Rand for five years before that, going, everyone's wrong. I'm right. You know, like yeah. Buddhism wasn't something I was very interested in doing. So I went back after that dream the next day. I met a monk. He taught me to meditate. I couldn't do it. I was very stubborn and I kept going until I could learn. Two weeks later, I'm stuck. I'm realizing my mind knows nothing. And so I just began to learn from him reluctantly for about two years until I realized this technology actually shifts in a deeper way that I'd ever known, starting with meditation and then the investigation of what is the mind? How can it transform? What is it that we can achieve with this consciousness of ours? And really the fruits of human success is only a tiny speck on what you can actually abide in. And when I realized that, I obsessed about studying all the same books that the Dalai Lama studies. Um, we got new translations into English uh, through the 90s of that, through a scholar. And that's what um, really turned my mind into, I can't keep it to myself. I've got to teach it. So it wasn't, I'm, I'm a reluctant teacher. I, I can do it. I'd rather sit in a cave and do my own experience, but it'd be selfish of me to um, not share the magic that this thing has done for me. Yeah. Wow. I have chills from that story. It was, you were meant to be, you were meant to walk into that space. I can't tell you. Now I'm the president of Jewels. I was just about to say, and now you're the president of Jewels. So... I never would have thought, and I feel it's, and like I'm a volunteer, like everyone else there. It's a nonprofit, and we share meditation and wellness practices to places and people that can't afford it or would never walk into a studio. So we go to homeless shelters, we go to transitional housings as a nonprofit, you know, troubled youth. We teach in all sorts of places, not publicly, you know, one on one or privately. And then we have this awesome, sexy, hip studio of people in their 20s and 30s looking fly and I'm the oldest dude in there and it really is a diverse and stunning community of people that just love that everyone has this same potential and it doesn't matter what you look like where you come from what language you speak it's just a stunning thing I was definitely meant to be there tell us a little bit about the med gala that is happening <laughs> inspiration and vision for creating that because I'm so jealous that Seattle doesn't have a little bit more of that energy and you know I wish I could be there on May 5th so tell, tell there's me. an airplane that it can it can get you here yeah. <laughs> and you forgot about that technology <laughs> you're not levitating anymore um get your husband over here now this is the most extravagant thing three jewels has done 
And it's based on a meditation called Future Refuge. So there's this meditation we teach at Three Jewels where using meditation as a visualization in order to create mental states, you uh, imagine that as you sit to meditate, the world around you transforms. You're not just in your room anymore. And as you breathe out, the room transforms into whatever your perfect and ideal space for complete peace is like. So you create your world. And some people create it in, on the beach, under a waterfall, in the sky. Everyone has their own nuance of what it would feel like to be completely at peace. So they create that world. It's just them. Finally, they can exhale. So this is this meditation where you're like, oh, I'm, this is what it feels to be deeply relaxed and at ease. No one's watching. It's just me. I can be me. And then in this meditation, the, a cushion appears in front of you and this figure begins to walk from the distance in your perfect place towards you. And they're sort of made of light in the distance. You can't see them rainbow a little bit morphing. And then they sit in front of you and you begin to see that they are very familiar, deeply familiar. And they begin to take shape and it is your future self. It is the future you who has achieved everything you've ever wanted to achieve. And depending on your background, it could be like lifetimes from now or this lifetime, but it is your enlightened form that has transcended time and suffering and space. And so whatever Wade looks like all these Wades ahead of you, they know every step you need to take to transcend every suffering. They know every opportunity you need to step into and they've seen you do it. And they're just waiting for you. They're waiting for you to come and hang out. And so you sit in front of your future self and basically you fall in love and trust that you know all the answers already. And so that future refuge, that future enlightened you, you communicate, you don't have to talk or anything. You just hang out, look at each other's eyes and then imagine what it would be like for them to look back at you now and say, oh, I remember where you're at. And they still love you unconditionally. like there's nothing to worry about Wade. like you're okay you're gonna be okay i promise and there's this like oh experience of acceptance and certainty that you're gonna be okay given all of time and space right so that's the the basis of the med gala celebration which i'll tell you in a sec but you were gonna say something well i just love the power with that visualization of, of sitting and connecting to your wiser future enlightened self and then it sounds like that deep trust right that gets to just be absorbed which i know is something that's so hard for a lot of us to receive is trusting yeah. ourselves and trusting timing and trusting the universe and so wow i got chills just hearing that yeah no it's a powerful powerful hack to thinking ourselves as normal because all we're doing really is we're sitting in a room imagining but you, you felt the power of that. Yeah. Our mind, having that imagination, deeply shifts, I guess, the code, the, the source code of our programming. Yeah. So it, it's, it, and it's incredible that the Buddhists knew this 2,000 years ago. Right, we're you know, stepping out of all of the limiting beliefs and the fears and the things that keep us stuck or stagnant or small. Yeah. So we realized that post-COVID, Three Jewels being a nonprofit, there are so many for-profit meditation studios, yoga studios, wellness brands in New York. We, many of them suffered great losses through COVID. Many studios closed. Communities were left without a place to go. And some of them trickled into Three Jewels. Some are trying to restart. 
So we felt we're in a strong position in New York. We have 46,000 visits every year. It's pretty stunning what Three Jewels has become in all those years. We felt it was our responsibility to say this isn't, this isn't just another business or an industry. As a nonprofit, let's celebrate the power to unlock the human potential through meditation with all the other businesses, brands, and communities that are trying to do that or have tried to do that and survive the COVID experience. Because it's up to us, the people that can do these technologies, to come together and say to everyone else, we're not competing, we're collaborating, because every mind, without exception, has access to this unlimited potential. You just need to get, get to it. So how do we do that? We invite everyone to show up for four hours as your future enlightened self, like whatever that dress would be like, the makeup, and try and have that view for four hours as we meet and greet a whole bunch of people. There's like live performances from uh, musicians, local musicians. It's just a party. There's like a five-minute mindfulness moment at the beginning, but everyone's dressed up, red carpet, celebrities are coming. Over a thousand people to the event and it's in a massive space and all the funds from the tickets and so on will go to give access to meditation teacher training to leaders in communities that won't normally have access or are excluded from from having access to this technology just so we can balance out the playing so field yeah so and it's it's mental health month in may so we're doing it as preventative mental health contribute to the equalizing of everyone having access to mental wellness services. I mean, some of the teachers we've got and mentors, we have a teaching in small communities in the Bronx, in Poland through the war. Like it's, we've had this for several years, but we thought it was necessary to gather the clans, if you will, and say, we need to help the world in the next five years because we haven't gone through a collective trauma like this. And this opportunity to surpass suffering now. Yes, and everybody deserves access to this medicine and to learn how to do it and then for it to also be normalized as, as something that is accessible and for everybody. A lot of the mindfulness meditation world has been captured in our media by white Lululemon wearing women. And, <laughs> yes. and so I think your this vision is beautiful to make it accessible and to make sure that they're teachers that look and sound like everybody out there in the world spreading, spreading this gift. Yeah, I mean, the last two years, we've given away about $200,000 worth of scholarships to people that wouldn't normally have access to these things. And it's paid off. Those like you should see the diversity of age, gender, race uh, in at Three Jewels and and they're teaching in places Three Jewels will never reach, you know, so we, we believe in it so much. We're throwing this party in order for everyone to contribute to the future of meditation teachers in the world. You know, and it's really like, and that happens May 5th at 7 p.m. Tickets are at medgala.org. Yeah. Um, and it happens every year. And there's opportunity for helping scholarships after that as well. So people should get involved if they're interested. Yeah, I will link uh, all of this information in the show notes and Centered in the City members get a discount by using discount code CTE. So we'll add that in um, as well to get more of the word out and what a beautiful gift this is. And I can't wait to see photos and, and hear about the experience afterwards. Hector, 
tell listeners where people can learn more about you and what you're up to and the gifts that you share. Awesome. Yeah. So on my Instagram, you can reach me at wakeupist, like wakeupist. I'm sure you put a link or Hector Marcel uh, and three jewels spelled out dot org, three jewels dot org. You'll see all of the programming that I've been able to put together with, you know, 50 teachers now that teach meditation, yoga and other things. And it's a nonprofit. So if you have opportunities for nonprofits to go and teach, we're happy to to connect and, and see what it is. But I also have a TED talk, how to get rid of the angry boss. That'll give you the first touch point that I had to sh- to understand the technology of mind and apply it. And it's a real live test case of what it takes to transform a negative experience into a teaching. And so how to get rid of the angry boss on TED would you could connect or you could just you know check me out at uh, Instagram or TikTok if you have a Hector Marcel. Amazing. Thank you Hector for being here. It's my pleasure, Wade. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. If this episode resonated with you, if you want to share this episode with a loved one or a friend, go ahead and share the fun as well as join Hector and I on Instagram to continue the conversation about what you're learning about yourself and how you can use mindfulness and meditation as you navigate living in the city. Until next time, stay centered.